The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to talk about the defense from that Jaguars game on Sunday night. Here joining me to do it is Gianna Hahn of the Baltimore Banner. Gianna, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm still in Jacksonville. It's a lot more sunny today, a lot sunnier. Uh, wish it would have been like this yesterday, for sure. Yeah, it was windy, windy for game time? It was quite windy. It's a little bit windy still, but apparently this is the first time they've seen it in a few weeks. Really? Okay. I didn't realize it was that bad in North Florida this time of year, but definitely uh, seemed to have an effect on field goal kicking in that first half. Oh, for sure. That was a little bit surprising. Yeah. All right. Now, Gianna, you you uh, you work at the Baltimore Banner right now, and I, your previous job was with the Flyers, I know. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was quite the adventure of a job. Um, I actually was with the Ravens as an intern at the Baltimore Sun to start my job and then moved to Alabama to cover Auburn and couldn't have gotten further from SEC football than covering the NHL. Didn't know much about it. Uh, I'm from Howard County, so not the biggest hockey area. So I just got thrown right in, had to learn a lot. It was definitely an on-the-go type of experience, but I had to just, you know, I was the only reporter at some games because me and my beat partner were the only ones that traveled. So it was very, very fun. I miss it, but I'm also very happy to be back in football. All right. Uh, there was a, a young lady who was doing the Caps games a few years ago. It was a very good reporter in terms of her understanding of the game and whatnot. Do you know what, what her name is? I think she's Iranian background. Um, I don't know Iranian. I know Samantha Pell was the second to last one. Okay. Um, and then I do know there was a girl before her that I heard a little bit about, but I was only in hockey for two years, so can't go super deep into the history. All right. Very good. Uh, anyway, I'm sure we'll draw on those experiences as we get through this. Uh, Jaguars certainly gave the Ravens a few gifts in a long night of, uh, of, of football, some drop passes, missed field goals, some stupid decisions near the goal line at the end of the first half. Kind of give me your impression of that. You know, it felt like the Ravens were playing down again which they've done throughout the season but then you stop and step back and you're like wait the Jaguars are actually a very good team so the Ravens must have been doing something to earn those gifts um as much as you'd like say oh they missed the field goal it was a field goal for 50 plus and you know they held them to that distance so they they definitely got gifts don't get me wrong but at the same time I feel like at least if we're going to talk about the hockey experience there's a term that if you do the right things, the good things will come to you. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if that's a saying that's often said in football, but it does feel like that. It feels like Ravens are doing things they should, and it's coming back to them. There you go. Luck is the residue of design. I think we've, we've heard that in other things. Uh, tough game tough game for Lawrence. Uh, I figured, I thought that he kind of played into the Ravens' hands a little bit, and we'll get into some of this later in terms of uh, it really played a lot of small ball. 
uh, in the game. And I thought that that really benefited the Ravens, frankly, in terms of having to get the ball out quick. I think it's frankly, it's benefited them all season in terms of being able to start with two deep safeties, still defund, defend the run very effectively. Jaguars didn't really even make an attempt to run in this game very much. They did end up running for 75 yards, but most of that was on scrambles from him. Yeah, I definitely thought that it was interesting how much shorter time Jack or Jackson, um, not Jackson, Lawrence had to throw than Jackson. But at the same time, it didn't look like he was super rushed. It looked like he was trying to do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it kind of came back to him. Um, and I know my beat partner has talked about the Ravens can sometimes be exposed by quick releases because they run such a complicated defense sometimes, shifting packages and stuff like that. But I do feel like they were able to adjust because, as you said, it was interesting at the very beginning of the game. I was like, oh, they're getting run over again, just like I felt against the Rams. And then just like against the Rams, they tightened up. It's almost like they're testing them, you know, in baseball where you take that first strike just to see kind of what they're doing. Uh, And batters are always good the next time up. That's almost what it feels like this defense is doing. They're kind of maybe a little bit loose in the beginning, but then they've been able to tighten up and, they only had about 37 yards at maybe eight minutes left in the game. And then the reason the Jaguars ended up with so many rushing yards, so many being relative, was because Lawrence started using his legs, which, you know, that is an important part of the rushing game, as you know, with Lamar Jackson. However, I think it's a little bit different when that's something that he hadn't been doing very much. So it was a little bit of a surprise, but they were able to just tie up a very good running back in ATN. Yeah. I thought I thought that was well done. And it's it's not like the Jaguars didn't kind of try, as you mentioned, right out of the gate. They, they came out with three six-man offensive lines. They used Blake Hance, who'd been starting a tackle, um, as an extra tight end on those plays. And the Ravens just ran their regular base package. They didn't try and go in any kind of jumbo formation or anything to face it, to uh, counter it. And uh, they were able to to uh, run the ball a couple times effectively. And then the Ravens got him for a minus two, I think, for by Hamilton getting into the backfield, which kind of turned it around and then uh, didn't didn't really do my, very much the whole game. Harrison was back for the Ravens to play outside linebacker on a lot of those rundowns. Uh, I think the Ravens have missed him the last couple of weeks. I think, yes, he's not a name that jumps off the page. Um, when I was at the Ravens Purple Evening for the ladies of their fan base, he was there and no one recognized him. And... You know, he, which is funny because he has a very distinct smile, you know, goes across his whole entire face. But on the field, he just kind of does what he's supposed to. And maybe he's not making Kyle Hamilton hits, but there's something to be said for not being noticed because I would rather not be noticed than be noticed for blowing coverage, as we saw a little bit later. So I definitely think he was missed just from his dependability, but also, of course, from the rotation because they've had a lot of guys go in and out and I'm sure some of the guys who've been there every game might be feeling a little bit in week 15. Yeah, they had a, had an extra guy active. Jeremiah Moon was active for this game. So they had six outside mm-hmm. linebackers. Moon only played special teams. He didn't play any defense in this game. So a little surprising to me that they did that. And, I, and I, you know, I thought I've been thinking for a long time they, they could really use an extra safety on the roster. And they have a guy, Adams, down on the, on the, mm-hmm. on the practice squad who they can elevate. They just haven't done it so far. It's definitely interesting. I was a little bit surprised by that elevation, but I also had heard the whispers that maybe they would because I think you might have actually mentioned this on last week's podcast that the Ravens have done very well with activations, so they have a few to spare. So um, they, why not? Why not get another guy in there with some experience and some reps? Well, they, yeah, they have some activations to spare. The other one is the the IRDTR, I think was probably what I was talking about then. They they have mm-hmm. a couple of prophylactic ones they can use. So they used one of Pepe Williams that happened to pay off. They needed then a slot corner, mm-hmm. you know, pr- pretty soon. And now Malik Ham is in that situation. I think he has to be activated by Tuesday, if I recall. You would know better probably. And if he if uh, if he isn't, then he just reverts to IR for the year, which wouldn't be the worst thing. But if he if they decide that they need him, then they can activate him to the fifty three and have him available for these last few games. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see what else we want to talk about here. Um, I'll give me a second here. Yeah. Um, so there was some some questionable officiating in this game. It's not the first thing I like to talk about usually, but um, the Ravens got a really ticky-tack DPI, but this is definitely not the game to be complaining about bad DPI calls, the one on Stevens I'm, I'm particularly referring to. But they but they also got a got what appeared to be a pretty generous call in the back of the end zone, or at least Terry McCauley couldn't stop talking about it. 
I was a little surprised by that call on Stevens. I was very confused watching the replay. It was a little bit difficult because normally we watch on the field and then we watch on the TVs in the press box Mm -hmm. to just see what happened. They were just so far behind that we would miss the next play. But that was one where I chose to miss that next play because I was just so confused. Well, actually, I believe because they have to review that, I had a little bit of time. But even rewatching it, I was like, I guess he touched him. (laughs) Um, But it looks like very good coverage and you know Stevens he's had a few DPIs this season but he's been very tight in coverage and through the rest of the game he looked really solid so it was a little bit surprising to me that he was caught on that um and it kind of reminded me of the Marlon Humphrey one out of bounds where I was just like okay I don't know what else to say about it it's just confusing but you got it you can't argue so um and they definitely as you said had calls go their way so eventually evens out the biggest single occurrence, I guess, for for Ravens fans from this game certainly is the Mitchell injury. Um, there's certain injuries you go through in a season, and they just destroy you um, mentally. At least that's that's it for me, anyway. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about these things, but boy, just off to such a great start in his career, uh, and and to have this happen right now, it looks like it probably spill over into 2024, if I'm guessing, on knee injuries as they typically do. Any new? Is there any new color that came out today about the nature of the injury? Yeah, some people are saying, some NFL insiders, that it was a ACL tear, which is never good. Meanwhile, Harbaugh refused to confirm or deny that. He said it's up to Keaton Mitchell, which, I mean, we're not allowed to talk to injured players in the locker room, mm-hmm. so we'll see how he gets that news out if he does, or maybe his agent will put something out, but... Uh, Harbaugh refused to confirm or deny. He just said there was no cartilage stuff, which is good, and that it's heartbreaking, which implies that it's bad, and that he expects he'll be back every day working with the team. However, from my experience with ACL tears, that's not exactly possible. You get laid up for a little bit. But you're right. It can just ruin you because, you know, I was impressed with Keith Mitchell for a lot of reasons. He was injured coming into the year, which is not an easy way well, even going back before that, he was an undrafted rookie. So right there, that's just difficult on, you know, a player mentally. They've got a lot to prove. It's difficult because of the perceptions of them. And he impresses in training camp. I was here, but I definitely read the articles about it, have heard the talk about it. And then he gets injured, which is just not the way you want to start your football career. It gives other players a chance to get ahead of you. And then he comes back and in an amazing story, as we all know, just shows off this lightning speed, quickness, uh, smart ideas with the ball. And he's been just a secret element for the Ravens. And what I thought was impressive was once he wasn't as secret, he still continued to, mm-hmm. to produce. Because at first, there was the element of like, maybe the team just didn't know how to prepare for him because there's no film on him. But he really has, you know, only played nine games. and only go down if this is a Super Bowl season as a player who played young James, but I don't know that you can state his impact on this team in just those nine games. So I'm sure he'll be working hard to get back, but there's so many more elements than just the physical when it comes to injuries. There's always a mental side of it, and it can be just so worrying to come back from such a long injury so quickly after you had another one and so early in your career. So I'm wishing him the best. He has an amazing story, and I know that his teammates are going to be playing for him moving forward. Uh, it's certainly a, a very, very special rookie season here, even with the the early end to it. Actually, he set the all-time record in the – actually, sorry, he's second in NFL history right now because he's another one this year who's having a big year. But he's second in NFL history in of players in terms of yards per carry with 40-plus carries. Um, at 8.42, 8.43, it's in that range. I just calculated this morning. Yards per carry. The only guy who's ahead of him is is Devon A. Chain, and uh, so they'll, they'll he probably will not be able to maintain his 8.45 or whatever he has. He's right around 8.5. Uh, so if that's the case, he uh, uh, Mitchell should be the the highest in uh, NFL history. It's a really remarkable start. Um, I think that that what it's shown to me is that the Ravens really want that stylistic fit at running back. They did a great job going out and making him a priority UDFA this year because they're as unbelievable to me that he wasn't drafted. I thought he'd be, you know, maybe a fifth round pick, fourth round pick even. Uh, he might be so unbelievable. He makes it through the draft. 
And we kind of saw some of the reasons why, I think, because he can't pass block at all. He's very small. He has some, you know, a lot of problems with that, which limits his usefulness in terms of down-to-down play. But a team like the Ravens, they these, these guys are fuel to them, guys who can who can uh, have real speed and can turn on the Jets on first and second down, even if that's all they can do. And I think there was still hope because he was such so valuable as a receiver that he could bring something to that end of the game at well, even if it's only on, you know, for two downs that he's, that he's really um, able to play. But the, I think the Ravens, it, it, it will be difficult this time of year because rosters naturally get depleted and the, the replacement level drops as the season moves along. But I think they would be well, well um, served to try and really go out and find a speed back who complements um, the rest of the offense the way that Mitchell has. And um, it may not be this year. It may have to be next year after they find that next UDFA they like. You know, I know we're talking about defense today, but just quickly going off of that, I do think it's interesting that they don't have like a Christian McCaffrey type of player, um, yet they're the most productive rushing attack, you know, and they just put up mm-hmm. over 200 yards on one of us. Uh, run defenses and it's because they have so many different types of guys as you were saying Gus Mm -hmm. Edwards is completely different than Keaton Mitchell and Justice Hill is completely different I think maybe the weakness of that is when they're in you know exactly what you're going to get from them as a defense but it hasn't stopped them they've been able to you know as we saw in Gus Edwards this game maybe not last game but this game he was able to just get those critical short yardage you know at the goal line or Mm -hmm. at third and short um, and so he didn't have impressive numbers, but his runs were at very critical times. And yet, you know, that's what's coming from him when they go out like that and the defense couldn't stop it. So I do think that's very interesting that, you know, there's not one single star. There's a bunch of, you know, smaller stars and they just work together and defenses can't prepare for everyone. It's it, I mean, it's definitely very true. The last six years that the Ravens run game has really been driven by Lamar Jackson. So even, even teams that have been good run defense teams, traditionally like the Steelers and others, they can't seem to stop the Ravens. You know, the Ravens run for 200 yards at will against them. Uh, I, I don't, I won't say at will, but they, they frequently had high rushing totals against good defenses because Lamar Jackson is just the ultimate, force multiplier across that unit, but really helps to have those other players who do something specific that complements Jackson exceptionally well. And I think they, they've got that with Gus for sure. Uh, they had it with Mark Ingram running him out of the pistol in 2019 was, was terrific. And I love the speedbacks and what they've done. It's just it, the thing, the thing is frustrated me the last three years is turning to older running backs who don't have a whole lot left in the tank. And, you know, Melvin Gordon, honestly, exactly fits that. And I, I'm not, I'm nonplussed by that uh, as the as the backup plan for Keaton Mitchell. Thank you and a bunch of other Ravens fans because I obviously am in Jacksonville and had to watch Harbaugh's uh, press conference remotely. So I was in the uh, chat with everyone else. It automatically pops up on YouTube and mm-hmm. ooh, people are not happy that Melvin Gordon is the one coming in. Uh, I think people's stress levels just went up a bit. Yeah. They got they got triggered. We've uh, we've we've seen this movie before with a lot of guys, and and most of them were fine. Devonta Freeman and Kenyon Drake and um, Latavius Murray and uh, not Le'Veon Bell, but most of the other guys who've been older backs that have come in have have run the ball just fine. They've they've been effective in terms of yards per carry. It's just they 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 don't really um, uh, bring the bring the Ravens run offense at the same level that they have, and it causes a lot of collapsing around the 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 other players that are there in terms of of not being able to get the passing game going. So I, I, I Mitchell was so valuable to this team. It's like this the injury that this reminds me of most is Lardarius Webb getting hurt with the same kind of injury at the end of his rookie year. And it was just so depressing. And, and so there's, there's injuries. There's the ones you know, and they've been all around for a long time. They're constantly frustrating. You really hope they'll get better like Ronnie Stanley. And then there's these ones with the young players that are just, they're devastating to fans. All right, let's move on a little bit. We'll talk about uh, some other things. How about the, the the slot corner and strong safety situation for the Ravens, which continues to change on a weekly basis here. Uh, the injury to Marcus Williams at the end of the half, by the way, one of the really great unheralded plays of this game was Marcus Williams bringing that, uh, the, the Jacksonville, care. was it, who was that? Number number 11, is it Washington over there? Wait, the, 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 check, but... That's okay. He brought the guy down in inbounds. Incredible play at the end of the half. 
um, and one of the really unheralded play. And then you could you could see on the video, it's kind of like uh, he landed on his on Parker Washington. Maybe does that sound right? Landed on the inside of his of his thigh and and uh, obviously did some damage there. Yeah, I was sitting the press box is at the opposite corner or I guess not the opposite corner, but the far corner right along that same end zone. So I didn't have a good view of what was going on. Obviously, all the Jaguars players and coaches were rushing a little bit, peeking in, trying to see what happened. So I had no clue that he landed in bounds. He looked out of bounds from my corner until I saw the clock just keep going. I was like, what is going on? And then I see them all just sprinting back. And honestly, I don't know if this was purposeful, but I believe it was more than Humphrey or potentially Hamilton. I saw four who kind of like got in the way, collided a little bit with one of the players. So they weren't able to reset. And then as we all know, the clock stopped or clock ran out and just such a smart play. That's one of those ones that I know I heard some people in the press box, maybe not from the Ravens side, grumbling that the uh, score should have looked a lot different. <laughs> and yeah, maybe it should have. But once again, they came up where they needed to. And that was a smart, intelligent skill play to be able to make that stop. And so even if it was on the goal line and maybe if they got one more play in, they would have been able to score. But it's because Marcus Williams that they did it. And so I think they get should get credit for that and not just look at it as luck. I, I, I mean, I think they should get credit for an inbounds ta- tackle for certain. I, I have no idea what um, Lawrence is trying to do in that in that spot, throwing a ball outside of the end zone. I just it's way too risky to throw a ball to the five yard line, even right there by the sideline. Um, at, at that point, I thought the spike was coming. I, I understand you want to get a playoff. Well, go ahead and throw it into the end zone. I didn't understand throwing it to the five yard line on one sideline when you know the Ravens have made their living on, with horizontal defense this year, stopping wide receiver screens, you know, doing whatever they need to by that sideline. And uh, they did have the area cleared out slightly, so it actually did take a nice downhill move by Marcus Williams to get to the spot. But uh, but I still don't understand the play. I thought it, I thought it was very foolish on Jacksonville's part. The other thing was Harbaugh said they knew it was coming. So um, that's never a good thing to hear if you're the opposing coach. And then, of course, shout out to Roquan Smith, who wears a green dot. All the players are saying he really got everyone in the position that they needed to be for that play. Um, So obviously Marcus Williams, great play, but also Roquan's kind of that heart that you don't always see. Uh, what his effect you don't see it in stats you do see he has impressive stats so you don't see the full story of what he does for this defense he did he, I, I I was noticing that the Ravens actually did a pretty good job of getting set for the next play had it been snapped which was that would have been something they would have needed to be ready for that they didn't even come close to really getting ready but the Ravens were ready to to, to play defense again which I thought was good but uh, yeah that's interesting I, I hadn't heard that about Roquan that's a that's a good catch uh, we're talking about the what's happening at at uh, safety now. If Marcus Williams can't go, I guess we'd expect Geno Stone to be playing the free safety spot. My my question is, Hamilton has been so effective playing at slot corner. They have Adams on the practice squad, who's a long time free safety in the league, so they could they could bring him in and, and have him play strong or free. I assume he could he could do either if they want to split the field on the back end as they have. Um, but but I, I'm wondering. Why would they really want to take um, Hamilton out of slot corner if they if they had the choice not to? Yeah, maybe just because they know what he can bring there. I don't know. But Mike McDonald doesn't strike me as someone who stays with comfort, though. So I can see what you're saying. But um, it is interesting to me when you see Gino Stone. Obviously, he was leading in interceptions for a while. Um, and he has a relatively good grade for all around, but there are certain things that he can't do. And, you know, when he, I think he was exposed a little bit when he tried to make that open field tackle and just completely missed the angle on Arthur Millette, obviously not all his fault, but um, I don't know exactly how this secondary will stand up against, I don't know, Brock Purdy and his attack, but at the same time, as I keep going back to as ugly as it's been, you don't get where you are just by luck. 
So maybe they do trust him there. Um, and maybe they're trying to stick with what's comfortable because this isn't the first time they lost Marcus Williams. And, you know, Kyle has looked really good. It's a lot corner, but he can do everything well. So maybe they look at it as, you know, um, fill him in where you need most, even if he's not the best, and then bring in the best backup uh, rather than take a risk on because I can't say I've noticed Andrew that practice, we don't get to see that much that would tell me anything about him. So um, I can't say why they aren't putting their trust in him. But the other thing is, and we know that Harbaugh can be a little, you know, inaccurate sometimes on his injury designations, but yeah. he does say Marcus Williams is day to day. So, you know, groin injuries are tricky. Um, going back to my, you know, sixth grade basketball days, I remember pulling mine and it just kind of lingers around and like you can push through it, but you can also pull it again really badly. And so um, I don't actually know when he'll be back. This might not even be a conversation later, but it could be down the stretch. Um, I don't know where this is going to go basically. So um, I am intrigued by your idea as well. I just don't know that we'll see someone different because they seem to like what they've had, like how the backups have stepped up. They they had really good play from Daryl Worley on the back end when they had Marcus out early in the year. So they had Stone at free safety, Worley as the as the strong safety, and they had uh, um, uh, Hamilton up front, and, and that was very effective. And they haven't gone back to that since. Uh, Worley's been to me, one of the really big stories of this year, and he's, he's unnoticed, but the guy had never played safety before, or at least, okay, he was originally drafted and they thought he might be a safety, but I believe his entire NFL career has been played at corner, despite you know less than optimal speed for the position. Uh, but he's looked great at safety this year, I thought. I would agree with that. I feel like the games he was in, I mean, go back to fight before he got injured and he played over 100 snaps. Mm-hmm. That's just incredibly impressive for that position and he held strong he didn't kind of like we're talking about with Malik he never showed up as a weakness he was kind of there he just held the fort down and that's very impressive to do at all but for 100 snaps and now that you mention it that is something I was uh I was wondering about a little while back and then I just kind of got used to the fact that he wasn't in there but you're right he never really went back to that and they were doing well when they had him in there filling in with the other secondary injuries. So, um, and same with Hamilton, just a guy with versatility like that. It just does so much for this team to know that they have options. And if something's not working, they can just change it. And they have another guy that they can rely on. Obviously Hamilton and Gorley are on the same level, but you need those depth guys. Yeah. Well, I, I think Marcus Williams had been playing um, really well considering the injury. And I, you know, he's obviously, he's a superstar when he's, when he's totally right. Um, I've still felt like he's played very well these last few weeks since he's been since he since he got off the very initial problems where he just couldn't tackle at all. He's just hurting people towards other tacklers of the sideline um, since he's been able to do a little bit of wrapping up, which is probably about four weeks now. Um, he's looked he's looked pretty damn good, I thought. And and you certainly done things on the back end in terms of passes deflection, in terms of being in the right places on bracket coverage and whatnot, which is discouraging the ball from being on target. A lot of that that stuff has been good. Um, and obviously a brainy play like the one he had at the end of the half was just absolutely huge. But I I, I do feel like the Ravens have at times this year not had enough safeties active to take care of their business here. And it just seems like, you know, in particular with Williams, a guy who's been hurt. And it, it didn't turn out this is the same injury. This isn't a you know another pec shoulder area you know problem again with this. This is a different injury, unfortunately for Williams. Um, but they've had so many problems with that group that it really was nice to have the extra guy available. And then you don't expend him. And I'm, I'm you know it's just it's surprising to me that they they give up on all that Hamilton gives you close to the line of scrimmage for that. Yeah, and. I don't know what Marcus Williams looks like at full strength. I was not around for that. And so I really only know what I've seen this season. But I can tell you that when he would make tackles, when he first came back, I was wincing. It just looked like he was in so much pain. And you could basically, you could feel it from all the way up on the press box, not even watching it on the screen. And you could see how much it was limiting him. And, you know, you do have to get them back out there. You have to work that strength back up you have to work the confidence the mental confidence be able to make those hits as well but at the same time 
you wonder if the offense, the opposing offense knows that this guy can't wrap with his one arm, then they're going to target that. And so I was a little bit confused at first about that. But he really, as you said, has looked so much stronger. He hasn't looked like a liability. He's made some pretty big plays. Um, and I do wonder if maybe this injury could be a blessing in disguise because it might give that other injury a little bit more time to heal and he can come back for the football that really matters and be a better strength. Well, let's hope the Ravens can get that number one seed then and, and get him back a little lately, a little later. Uh, Darby never saw the field in this game on the outside. I thought he might because I thought also that Humphrey might have been a reasonable opportunity to put in the slot if things had gone gone wrong. Obviously, they went with a fair amount of what I call the standard nickel. We'll talk about that very briefly later, but where they use a where they use a true corner in the slot as opposed to a safety in the slot. And it was surprising to me that he didn't get in the game at all. Yasin is, I don't even know what's going on with him being inactive two weeks in a row. I I really thought that um, JAD was kind of at the bottom of the cornerback depth chart, but he's actually in there in this last night. Yeah, when he made a tackle, everyone around was like, who is that? I mean, we all know who that is because we see him at practice. We just were so caught off guard. Because uh, obviously we knew he was on the active roster. We just expect to see him in special teams. We did not expect to see him out there playing defensive snaps and not just defensive snaps. So he played some big ones. He was playing oh, yeah. third downs. Yeah. So that was surprising. And, you know, he has been at practice. He's been there. Um, I don't know him too well. That's not one of the guys that I've talked to. So I can't say if there's maybe, I don't know what his demeanor is right now. But, I definitely was surprised too when we were talking about, you know, where did this come from? Did something happen with Darby and Yassine? Because that, I mean, this whole season, they've gone to those guys. When we talk about things that they know, that's something they know. They've gone to them. So maybe going back to what you were saying before with Kyle Hamilton, maybe they'll surprise us and switch it up because they definitely surprised us with Jalen Arden Davis in there. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe they Maybe they will do that. Uh, let's move on a little bit more. Lawrence, I want to get back to the, the notion of Lawrence playing small ball a little bit and, and talk about that. So I, I divide up the pass plays into three three uh, groups, as people, the listeners know, that, that, that there are uh, ample time and space, ball out quick, and pressure situations. And Lawrence released the ball before pressure had any chance to develop on 20 of 44 pass plays. That's 40... Oh, what is it? 45%. Very high percentage uh, to do that. In a way, what you do when you throw the ball out quickly, at least from my perspective, is that you're saying, I don't want to take the chance of pressure, so I'm going to scheme something out quickly. But it reduces your chances to have both pressure situations and ample time and space situations, which are the, the opposite ends of the barbell. And deal with those as as you would, and and uh, I think in this game it did not play to Lawrence's favor in terms of, of of how it worked out. Do you think this was the most extreme we've seen this season? I mean, we, obviously, we, you know, playing the Bengals and whatnot, they typically throw the ball to the outside, release it very quickly. Um, did you, you 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 mentioned the time to throw? You'd seen how much difference there was. What was the time to throw for um, Lawrence in this game? I didn't see it yet on Next Gen. I will look at his. Updated ones. All right, it reloaded. It was at one point when I was looking, it was under three seconds. And um, Lamar's, I don't know what the final was because I had all the stats. <laughs> they just refreshed in our blank right now, but it was below three and Lamar's was closer to four. Um, right. Lamar had the highest the one. It, Lamar had the highest one in the league this year, I think, in, in this game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So let's bring it up real quickly here. Season. This is week 15. So in terms of time to throw, Lamar at 3.8 seconds. And where is Lawrence? Do you have an average one? No, 2.53. So the minor difference wow. of 1.27 seconds <laughs> per throw. Uh, and literally, that's lower Lamar. than when I saw it. Yeah. It was 2.88 when I saw it. That's so the one that was, I clearly last remember. It was updating during the game, say, but pass by pass kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's great. I didn't I didn't know you could do that. You could, so you, you it, uh, is it is it available to you via some special feed or can you go to just a normal next gen um, website and get it? Jonas has those stats. He just gives it to me when I ask. <laughs> Jonas <laughs> is definitely the stat guru. So um, he has, I'm still figuring out even where to find all the stats specifically because there's so many websites that offer so many different things. So just getting used to my go-tos and where to find everything, even within my go-tos, what pages have what. But um, but going back to your question I, about whether it was the other extreme the fact that you could just notice how quick he was trying to get it out i think that says something because some people are counting maybe but not everyone's counting and to notice that one second difference doesn't sound like a lot of time but you can see how quickly he was trying to get it out all, all the difference in the world in terms of of uh, having a chance for pressure to develop certainly and um on on those plays on the 20 throws where he put, threw it out quickly the the um jaguars only averaged 3.8 yards per play which is by the way quite low because you're already truncating the results to take out any sacks by saying when the ball was out quick so a lot of those plays are going to end up being little short passes to the outside some slants and some of that you expect to break some sometimes actually on deep routes the, the quarterback can easily get rid of the ball in under 2.4 seconds something's really like 2.2 if they want to hit a 41 yard pass uh on, outside the numbers because that's about the old joe wash number that they would they would need to do um but it's it's uh really surprising to me that they continued to make this um, choice, even though it really wasn't working out, and they were doing very well on the other throws. The other, the, the even Ravens only got pressure twelve times in this game, which is a horribly low rate for them um, in the game. But they also allowed twelve ample time and space throws, and Lawrence really burned them on those throws, including the the sixty five yard play. Yeah, I've just gotten used to seeing the defensive line back there. You know, Justin Madueke, Dafoe Away, just every game they've been in, I'm used to seeing them somewhere near the quarterback and. Until the one that got called incomplete rather than a sack, um, right, I believe, on the goal line, almost for a safety. That was really the first time that I noticed the pass rush at all really getting to him. Um, And, you know, it is surprising because as, once again, going back to Roquan, the bend, don't break mentality, small ball, you're getting those little things. But they're really – limiting how far they've gotten they've done that all year there have been a few explosive plays here and there throughout the year i think dk metcalf had that big one but nothing that's truly hurt them and not regularly and so for the jaguars to come in and you know use that tactic and hope that they can get yards after the catch when you know the ravens really haven't given up that much i will think of that one uh play where kyle vanoy just completely angled wrong and left on the tackle. They got some yards on that one, but I believe maybe it was Roquan who was there to back him up. But it's just not it, – as you said, it's a very interesting decision to keep going to that. It's kind of the opposite of what we've seen um, the Ravens do when they're at their best, when they read the defense and they adjust accordingly. For some reason, they just didn't adjust. And you did mention – the quarterbacks are not when they're doing this they're not taking hits maybe it's because trevor lawrence isn't at full strength yet and the- did anything more come out today about that i, I did want to ask because i one thing i noticed was when he got taken down awkwardly by away on the play late in the game that he was he was, he was shaking his hand and he was he was more important he's fiddling his fingers and what i associate that with is, is when pitchers have a ucl tear and they they have to get their arm worked on uh, for Tommy John surgery. That's what they do when they get hurt. Is they all of a sudden they twiddle their fingers and they can't really feel them. 
And I was wondering, there's a lot of other reasons why you might shake your hand. So I don't want to go too far down this, you know, armchair evaluation, armchair diagnosis here. But it did seem like something was wrong and that he had nothing on those throws after that one, um, after the tackle in that game. You know, everything that's come out has been about concussion protocol, actually. Mm-hmm. There really hasn't been anything about his hand. Um, and the coach I see from his press conference today, he would not confirm or deny whether or I guess he would not say definitively if Trevor Lawrence would be back for their game against the Buccaneers so maybe he has both injuries and they're just saying the more extreme one that's keeping him out but that's what all the conversation is about right now and an interesting I don't even know if interesting is the right word because it's a little bit sad but a stat the Ravens have is they've knocked out starting yes. quarterback after starting quarterback and you know, maybe they see that and they're like, Trevor Lawrence makes our offense run, especially Christian Kirk out. We got to just get that ball out, keep him away from um, getting taking any of those giant hits that the Ravens pass rush brings. So maybe that's an element of it that, you know, kind of game within the game, um, not just scheming X's and O's, but thinking about your personnel specifically and keeping them healthy and safe. Well, and, and he ends up getting hurt on a run play, which is, I guess, uh, an all too familiar story for the for the Ravens. He, it, Jackson has gotten hurt in the pocket a lot too in, in his career, but uh, mm-hmm. that was a. Uh, I, I'm sure that was very upsetting to Jacks fans. Um, and it, I, 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 I'm not sure, but I, I assume the the coach is not allowed to say he'll be back. Maybe you would know more about this it, it, because if he's going through concussion, concussion protocol, that's all you can say, right? Is is he's 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 in the concussion protocol. If he's cleared by then, he'll play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. And like, there's a lot of elements to concussion protocol. So also have no clue where he is if he, you know, passed this, but they still have another test or if he failed his test today and still has another one because um, this is really straining on my knowledge of, of medical knowledge. But I do believe they're a series of tests and you have to have a series of days after um, when you have your last symptom. Which is funny because I just had a concussion and um, I did not go through that because I'm not an athlete. <laughs> I just stopped having headaches and was like, I can go back to work. So, but <laughs> <laughs> we have no clue where he'll be probably until, I don't know, maybe Thursday, I would say, unless he's suddenly magically back at practice on, um, on Wednesday. All right. The Ravens, uh, Ravens defense in this game dropped off a little bit more in terms of yards per play against the pass. They've been amazing. Um, but 4.48 is uh, still better than their best number ever, which occurred in 1999. Now, if you think about it, passing, uh, it, it just was less a part of football. Average quarterback ratings were lower. Average gains were lower. Um, and th- th- this is the best Ravens in terms of pass defense ever. What's come with that is this McDonald trade-off, we'll call it, of starting with too deep, being able to confuse the opponent a lot, but it does have the feature, not the bug, of uh, giving up more runs, more uh, yards against the run. Yeah, and I think with the past defense, they've been really good, as you said, um, and they've been top of the league. And for a while, people were saying they just haven't gone against a high-powered quarterback. Huh. Well, I think you can count Trevor Lawrence as a high-powered quarterback. Yeah, he didn't have his top receiver, but you know, no team's ever going to be uh perfect you know opponent's gonna be perfect you just play what you have and so they've consistently done that yeah there have been some few big plays here and there as you said but um I don't know it's they continue to impress the doubter there are so many doubters especially with Brandon Stevens and Gino Stone back there they're playing lockdown D and everyone's like wait until you see them against better and you know a few blips here and there but they're still holding it down and as you said the run they do have to give up a little bit i like the it's a feature not a bug but does it matter if you give up a few runs here and there at one end of the field as long as you're stopping once it's in the red zone and they did yeah they once again the kicker missed the field goal but they held them to a 50 yard and a 55 yard they stopped them when it counted and so they've shown that they really can do it when they need it most and I think that fans aren't going to like it because even me, who did not go over Ravenson, I get a little heart in my throat a bit when I watch the run and you see them just succeed over and over, just pick up yards and pick up yards. And um, it doesn't feel good, but you can't deny the results. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, I'm, uh, it's it's different for me too. The Ravens went the first 20 years of their existence never allowing as much as 4.0 yards per carry. And now they're at 4.5 or wherever they are this year when you take out the kneels. And uh, it definitely hasn't been as good. It, 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 I think part of the philosophy is just it's very difficult for a team running the football to drive the ball all the way down the field without making a mistake. And we've seen, you know, seen Lawrence's fumble was a good example of one happening. And uh, even when they ha- seem to have their offense going running pretty well, and then they also had, you know, had, had good stops when they got down close as well, as you mentioned. So uh, yeah. Exciting about that. Yeah. Ravens won the Rams. The, the Rams, Rams too. Uh, they ran that first drive and then for some reason, stopped <laughs> and yep. then they never went back to it so don't know if it's because the ravens stopped giving up those looks or the rams inexplicably ran nine straight plays successfully against them and decided that's not a good idea but yeah i don't know they're doing something maybe they're just too scary in the run game but yeah. uh yeah that's multiple games in a row we've seen that little bit of time where they're giving up a bunch and then it just stops and it goes away so the, the one thing that both Ravens safeties have some tackling difficulties. So if you can get a heavy run game or a heavy yards after catch passing games like the Browns did against them, it can be very effective. So they had um, you know two guys, the running back, and I'm, he's, his name is uh, Ford, Ford, and and uh, and Joku are two guys who who are certifiably very big and difficult to to tackle. And getting those guys, you know, matched up effectively against the safeties down the uh, down the field after the catch or after the run in Ford's case um, was very effective against the Ravens, and that's I, I thought that was a big reason why they were able to uh, uh, to beat them in that game. But anyway, it's uh, uh, it's something I hope we uh, we should have a better second tackling safety in the game. But Gina Stone, who still had a lot of tackling difficulties this year. Um, is going to be in there for every snap now, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. And and maybe maybe that's even if I'm just thinking through the issue myself, maybe that's why they want Hamilton on the back end. You you, you give yourself one really superior tackler back there if you have a, a strong safety. Uh, I don't think Worley's missed a tackle this season though. So I have to put in a plug for Worley again, but I think he'd be excellent. I'm all for plugs for Worley, and you're yeah. right. Maybe it's more important to have Hamilton back there to um, act not to use the word safety, but act as a safety belt for if they do spring those plays rather than, because you're, you're constantly seeing him just busting up screens. And that's really nice, but it's maybe in the long run not as important for him to be up there than to um, be that safety valve if someone happens to slip past, you know, North or Moet like they did or Gina Stone. And we've seen time and again, Hamilton be the one that comes and finishes the tackle that one of his teammates misses or is broken. Did anything come out in your time in the clubhouse uh, after the game last night about the um, blown coverage on the left side with Mallette and possibly Stevens involved and possibly Stone involved? Nothing that I saw. I will say I was on an offensive article last night, so I was trying to run down mostly offensive players. I did go through um, Hamilton and Roquan's transcripts from yesterday, and no one really brought it up. But that is a good question because – you know, it looked like it was Millette's fault, but then some people were saying it looks like he had kind of pushed him off as if he was expecting someone else to pick him up. But then Gino didn't look like he was super expecting him to be back there. He kind of looked like he was playing catch up. And also, if one of Gino's weaknesses is that he's not great at open field tackling, then I don't know why that would be the plan anyway. But um, yeah, so I don't know what where everyone was supposed to be necessarily because no one talked about it if that was on Millette or if that was on someone else or if it was on Stone. Um so that should be maybe something that we ask as we head back to the locker room on Wednesday. Yeah, I I'd love to hear the answer to that by the way. And I it looked like there was a pre-snap communication at the line of scrimmage between Stevens and Mollette. And then Mollette started to follow the wheel route correctly. And Stevens was the 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 route that had crossed that had rubbed off on that. He was following that route, so I think it should have been Mallette, but but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And it doesn't really also answer whether or not they should have had some coverage over the top that should have been there, and maybe Stone looked at the wrong guy or or bid on the wrong um, action or not. Anyway, I need to I need to take another look at that play to um, to get further as well. 
And Jonas was sitting next to me going through it over and over again, trying to figure it out. And he's not positive, but I will tell you, Gino Stone is pretty good at breaking down some films. So I will have to ask him. All right. Well, good to hear. Good to hear. Um, let's see. I uh, want to talk very briefly about packages. And uh, by the way, folks, uh, Gianna's doing this and she's extremely sick. I, I don't, I, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. It's very clear. So <laughs> we're just okay. going to, we're just going to have her for the first hour and I want to get through the, the, the rest of the stuff, but I'll do the uh, individual player reports as we, as we go through this a little later. Did want to hit on some package information. If we just move on to that. Um, I, I was got asked by a fan ahead of the game, if we might see more race car package, which is what I term for the Ravens uh, four outside linebacker package that they, that they've used in past years. Um, they had six outside linebackers active. So maybe this was something that they would, they would choose to get after Lawrence who was, you know, obviously might not be in perfect shape in his legs still. Although I couldn't tell anything about his legs that was wrong from the game last night. Could you, did you notice any no, problem? He seemed pretty mobile. We are all like, well, one of the reporters back to like, I don't know, he was a runner like that because <laughs> he was kind of shifty and quick. I do remember him back in his college days, you know, running a lot. But yeah, he he looked a little bit Jackson like, you know, he looked like he was even good. <laughs> I, that's what it looked to me like, like too. And, and uh, uh, the Ravens don't, don't really have a way that they can put four outside linebackers on the field currently and still get say Justin Matabike mm-hmm. on who they definitely would want on any pass rushing downs. Um, but they do have a way to get three outside linebackers on the field and they put their top three in for five plays and pretty much everything that went right for the offense, a defense rather happened on those plays. They got, they got one sack, they got their only turnover, and they got one other turnover on a run by Lawrence on those plays. Six plays total went for negative three yards. So <laughs> negative 0.6 yards per play for what it's worth. But all those plays had Owe, Van Noy, and Clowney on the field. And they were part of the inability, the general inability of the the um, uh, Jaguars in this, in this game to convert third downs. Yeah, it's... Um... It's been a storyline early in the season, and I feel like it hasn't been as much as we've moved through the season outside linebackers because we've just kind of gotten used to Palvinoy and Jason Clowney just playing lights out. But um, I, it doesn't surprise me that they would play that well when you put Clowney, Vinoy, and Away out there because they're all you. They're a nice combination of um, smarts and just pure talent. Away is a little bit younger, not as experienced, maybe isn't going through the same thing in his mind as Vinoy is, but he can, you know, he just, I remember back covering him at Penn State, he's just a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Franklin would say that all the time. And so if you can get all three of those guys out there at the same time, it's not surprising to me that that would just stifle any offense because you're, once again, as we said, getting to that quarterback, even if He's getting it out quickly. You're rushing him. He's playing fast. He's not taking that time. And he, as you said, he did when they were playing longer um, or when he took more time to throw. But he, they can really affect all parts of the game when you have all three of those guys in that combination of experience, intelligence, uh, and just freak athletes. And even just Clowney, he's just playing so hard right now. I would be very scared to see him coming at me if I were Trevor Lawrence. Well, I guess so. You know, it's it's he's uh they've been a remarkable job of providing that complimentary pressure. I love the fact that they that one guy gets in and somebody else finishes. And I, as as great a year as Justin Matabike is having in terms of of being a finisher. He has been a, a, a beneficiary and an absolute hoover in terms of cleaning up on other players' initial pressure. It's been just a remarkable – and this sack was to, to, was no different. I mean, it was created by somebody else's pressure. I think Patrick Queen had the first pressure, right? And he missed the sack, in fact, and then and then uh, Justin cleaned it up. Yeah, I have clear images of in my mind of OA twice putting a quarterback through the spin cycle and just not – able to get him to the ground which is frustrating and won't go down as a sack but at the same time you can't deny how much that impacts it slows him down and let someone else get to them so you're right kind of because definitely been um the recipient um someone's knocking at the door sure i'll just keep going on to the next topic while we're working on that 
Uh, Ravens played only a little bit of base defense, nine snaps. Um, and uh, Harrison was in there for all nine of those. They went, they did that again, as I mentioned earlier, against the jumbo formation. That's just the base defense. They split up their nickel snaps. Um, other than the the five I mentioned in this rush nickel, they had twenty big nickel snaps and twenty seven standard snaps. So a nice, nice, similar breakdown of using three safeties in their nickel and using uh, three corners in their nickel. Some of that was not by design. It was we were forced into doing it by having um, uh, Hamilton go back to strong safety instead of playing his uh, his nickel role that he was starting the game in. Yeah, I'm not surprised that they're playing nickel so much because if it means you have Hamilton out there complimenting everyone in that spot, he just... I don't even know how to describe his season. There are so many words. Everyone's saying defensive player of the year, but just every single game he's contributing and in so many different ways. So whenever you have him there, and as you said, he can play in different positions in the nickel as well. Um, it just makes sense to me that you're going to utilize that guy as much as you can. Now, do, do you guys vote at the end of the year on a, on a defensive player of the year for the Ravens or just vote on a team MVP? That is a fantastic question. Um, we did in hockey, mm-hmm. and um, we also voted for a team MVP. But that is one of those things I guess I will learn <laughs> as I get to the end of the season. Fair enough. I apologize for ambushing you. That that's uh, <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, Ravens have played just a remarkable 84% nickel on the season. That number still amazes me because past Ravens defensive coordinators, and really all of them, had a lot of variation in the number of defensive backs they wanted to put on the field. Uh, you go back to Marvin Lewis in 2000, playing 35, 34.5% um, dime and quarter coverages at six or seven defensive backs. And as recently as 2019, the Ravens played over 42% uh, nickel sorry, 42% dime the entire season. So to see them playing six snaps of dime the whole year, basically never being willing to take that second outside linebacker off the field uh, has been really strange. I mean, it's been, it's been a, a tremendous change from, uh, from Ravens history that that's occurred. It's strange, I guess, in terms of history, but at the same time, when you think about the personnel and the way things start up front um, and how successful they've been, you know, yeah this secondary has been injured through the season and I'm sure they attribute so much of what they do to what's happening up front because the quarterbacks can't make as smart choices when they don't have as much time and they're under pressure um, or they can't throw exactly the way they want to throw it. So, you know, why stray from something that works when these guys are just constantly getting back there? I guess you got to keep going to them. So yeah, not not arguing with the results, Gianna. You're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I mean, if they've been you know the remarkable pass defense they've been, and you know it's usually on passing downs that you want to make changes like that. So you're absolutely right in that respect. That uh, there's no reason for them to play a ton of down, ton of ton of dime. Uh, let's let's move on. And talk about the pass rush if we can for a little bit, and then we'll let you go. I can tell you're uh, uh, you're having you're struggling through this. Um, uh, McDonald made very mo- a modest use of numbers in this game. Uh, it combined, it was primarily stunts in this game and simulated pressures. They had a lot of guys dropping from the line of scrimmage, a lot of Roquan and and Patrick Queen, uh, oftentimes both at the line of scrimmage and dropping off. Some to confuse probably the offensive line. Some probably to confuse Lawrence. I think when they did blitz, they were basically doing Lawrence a favor in terms of providing him with a hot read, and he wanted to get rid of the ball quickly anyway. So it's just a, you're kind of doing him a, a doing him a solid just to to show him where that hot read is by having someone run in from off ball. Yeah, so if that is the case, it does make sense why they aren't doing it as much. But um, I do think it's funny that maybe it's not what they did in this game, but the threat of what they could do in past games that led to this. You know, they weren't actually getting back there. It was just astounding that they didn't get a sack until that potential safety, and then it was called back. But at the same time, they they were effective. So, um Sorry, well, sorry, I was trying to thought, no, but that's it. they they uh, they certainly did a good job of it, and and they didn't. When you when you when you overcommit, you show something to that quarterback, and you just give him a chance to 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 
figure it out to decode what you're doing. And I, th- I thought the simulated pressure doesn't do that as much. And it probably still confuses the offensive line in terms of making sure everybody has the right assignment. Uh, one thing I always think is that when the defender not only, and this is more true of a lineman to do this than it would be of a linebacker. Linebackers usually drop straight to coverage and they don't touch the opposing lineman. But line uh, uh, defensive linemen, and we saw Urban do this in this game, for example, will sometimes actually push off the guy in front of them to help themselves drop back more quickly into coverage. And when they do that, they uh, uh, they also can greatly confuse the pass blocking because somebody's got their hands on you, you figure they're rushing the passer, and then you know the, the, the lineman will kind of commit to that block, and then somebody else may be able to get the gap to either side and and, and rush the quarterback. So um, it's 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 really interesting to see, but the Ravens' use of simulated pressure this, in this game I thought was really good. It ended up being one of the really big plays of the game was Urban dropping to coverage um, he didn't actually make the play, but he was close enough to the passing lane that Lawrence threw wide right uh, on a, th- I think it was a third down. No, it wasn't. It was an earlier down play. It had to be because Urban was in, but, it's, but, he, but, he, but he missed the throw anyway. And I thought that was a, it was a really exceptional play. And there was a big celebration from Urban. <laughs> and I believe at one point um, Jones dropped into the coverage too, Travis Jones, and that he also didn't end up necessarily doing anything, but it must confuse the pass blockers. Could confuse me a bit. Just it's so different seeing um, a guy that big dropping into coverage. Yeah, yeah the Ravens do it a, a fair amount. I even I want to say Michael Pierce might have dropped a coverage now twelve times this year. Now I might, might be thinking about Matapike, but uh, uh, but it can happen. That's for sure. Um, talked a little bit about ample time space ball, a quick and pressure earlier. Ample time and space. Lawrence threw 12 times, 117 yards, 9.8 yards per play. That's very good, certainly. It's uh, almost 10 yards a throw, but there's also – you're only you look at the ones that have at least a three-second pocket time, and that's um, not a tremendous number, but not a bad number. Uh, ball out quick, 3.8 yards per play. I mentioned that earlier. And then the pressure, he was very good. 5.4 yards per play. Did have a sack. That, that was a turnover as well, but the 5.4 yards per play is exceptional. And the point I was making earlier is that you're, 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 what you're doing with ball out quick is not working. Okay, that's, that's the 3.8 yards per play. And you have a chance to take the chance on ample time and space and pressure and some balance between those two if you hold the ball longer. And not only did he have these plays, which were all you know substantially better than, than when he's getting rid of the ball quickly, but he also ran the ball pretty effectively after extended pocket times um, created chances for him. So uh, it, interesting that they did not get away from getting the ball out quickly. Um, I wonder if that success rate would have stayed as high if they had done it more often, just because you saw the way the Ravens defense adjusted to the yeah. run game and the way they were owning uh, the offensive line. I wonder if they had, you know, maybe just since we expected them to do if, we would be talking about a whole different thing. <laughs> well, great point. So uh, each team adjusts to each other as you go on the fly. And it does seem that oftentimes the offense can adjust at halftime and the defense, b- because they have a chance to script a few more plays and the defense um, is, is making more aggregate level adjustments. The defense also just, I think because the offense snaps the football and they do things, they have more chances to adjust in, in a, in a way and they really need to be better at that. But I think, I think it's a point well taken. Uh, they, the, for the first time all year, the Ravens were shut out on the four-man pass rush. They had zero sacks on 33 four-man rushes. That's been the hallmark of this defense. It's just a tremendous four-man rush season that they've had. Um, I, I did. I, I want to get back to something you said earlier about Michael Pierce and I'm sorry about Brent Urban. Because I know Brent Urban and Michael Pierce are very good friends on the team. Yes, they are. Are they uh, they hang out together on the sideline just naturally. I mean, they're on the defensive line group as well, and so, we we keep he- hearing them on the sound uh, sound bites and whatnot. Yeah, and I know when I was first here and I was doing a story on the London game, they were two of the people who were actually on that London trip because they're a little bit older. And when I was talking to Michael Pierce, um, Brent Urban was saying he was just so excited for the food and. Uh, Michael Pierce is saying, oh, Herb's one of my best buddies. I let him choose the food and I go where he chooses. So I thought that was cute. And once he told me that, I've noticed ever since that they are together so much on the sidelines, walking out at practice, chatting at practice in the locker room. Um, So 
definitely a very wholesome <laughs> interaction between two guys that are very scary on the field and monsters. They're just like so nice and the besties. <laughs> Melissa Kim said, I, I don't remember who, it, who, who is it who has the joke, but he says the two of you are a perfect 10 together, referring to Urban, who is the one in this case, and Pierce, who would be more round than the zero. Have you heard, have you heard that one? <laughs> I have not, but that's fantastic. Uh, and it was just amazing when they both got fumble recoveries together and they were sitting next to each other in the locker room. They were celebrating together. <laughs> <laughs> They've been insufferable. I'm sure that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Matt BK led the team with five pressure events uh, that were in the first three seconds. Uh, four of those full quarterbacks, nine quarterback hits now the last two weeks. During this streak of 11 games where he's had um, 11 I believe 11 sacks as well, and at least half a sack every game. So very efficient in terms of spreading those out. He's had 29 quarterback hits during that time. Just an incredible run for for Matabike. Is there anything that's, that's like manifesting itself in terms of a superstition with Matabike or anything on the team with regard to this? I know he was saying that his focus every game is just get one. And if he can get one, then he can get another and another. So it's not so much like he's thinking about the streak, but the streak is the manifestation of that mentality of like, just get to him once. And once you can do that, you can go again. Um, and I also think it is, you know, we're talking about him being the beneficiary of some of the other guys uh, missed sacks, but I do think that that quarterback hit number does speak a lot to just how much he is doing outside of the sacks. Like maybe the sacks aren't fooling him, but he's still pressuring in other ways and affecting the game in a lot of ways. All right. All right. Gian, I've been an absolute pressure to have you. I, I, I can tell you're, you're uh, uh, at the point where you need to get off here, but really appreciate having you on. Tell folks where they can find your work or talk to you online. Yeah, you can find my work on the baltimorebanner.com. Just look for Gianna Han. And then all of my social is Gianna, G-I-A-N-A underscore Jade, J-A-D-E. All right. I'll say thanks for coming on. I hope we can have you on again sometime in the future. Uh, really appreciate having you other folks out there. If you'd like to be on a film study short, uh, hit me up with a G- DM. They're always open on Twitter and I will get back to you very quickly. We'll talk about your idea for a show. And I like to have uh, one of these per week, maybe, and, and many more than that during the off season. So be sure to contact me. I promise I will get back. Gianna, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.